0: Good morning everybody. Welcome once again to the Digital Cathedral. I always like to welcome my congregation into the house. It's good to see all of your smiling faces this morning and you say, well how do you how do you see me? I see you by the spirit brother. I see you that are in England and Australia. I see you over in California and in Arkansas. It's good to have you with us today at the Digital Cathedral. The house is full today and I sense a good spirit. Grab yourself a cup of coffee, a second cup of coffee, and let's uh, get into Galatians. We're into Galatians chapter 5. We've got two more chapters to go and we'll be through the book of Galatians. If we continue on our pace with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, that's four books. Looks like it's going to take us about three months to go through a book. So We're just about looking at all 2020 and going through the heart and soul of Paul's teaching. So I'm trusting that when we're done with 2020, you're going to have some insights and some uh, understanding that you didn't have coming into 2020. I want to read 15 verses today. We're going to cover a bunch of... then we're going to bring this, in, this passage of scripture into today's life and talk about it, how it applies to us. All right, let me start with Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Paul says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. And don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Man, that is good advice. If you're free this morning, if grace has got a hold of your life and you're not in the, in, the, in, the, in the throes of religion any longer, then don't go back into it. Stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has made you free and don't be entangled again. That's really what it is. It's an entanglement. Whew. We've gotten all that, all that entanglement off, all those tangles. We've got, it's, it was a mess like fishing line. It was hard to untangle. We're finally getting successful at it. Don't get tangled again. Verse 2, Indeed I, Paul, say to you, that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. What, if you go back under the law, if you return back to the law, back to work, then what Jesus did isn't going to profit you. You've come under the law. Verse 3, he gets real strong about this. He said, and I testify to every man among you who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You can't do just a little bit of law. If you're going to go that route, you got to do the whole thing. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You've fallen from grace. I thought you fell from grace by sin. No, you don't fall from grace by sin. You fall from grace by going back under the law. That's what he says. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith which works by love. Verse 7. You ran well. What hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Matt he is just hitting this from all different angles about how futile it is to get yourself back under that mess of religion. He said, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment whosoever he is. And I brethren, if I still preach circumcision why do I still suffer persecution? If I if I go back to teaching law, I wouldn't get near the flack I'm getting today. That's what Paul's saying. If I go back to teaching the law, I I wouldn't be persecuted. If people aren't calling you a heretic, then you're not pushing grace far enough. Because those that are those that are messed up under the law cannot deal with you that are free. It drives them absolutely crazy. Verse 12, he said, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. All right, that's 15 verses of scripture. What's what's Paul saying? Paul is encouraging them to be bold, right? To be bold and to stand strong for what has been revealed to them and know that everything that you do or you don't do, circumcised, uncircumcised, does not have any effect on your standing or position. That's what he's getting at. He tells us that in verse 6. He says, do, let me paraphrase it, he says do has no relation to be. What you do has no relation to who you be. You be the Son of God, you be righteous, you be justified, you be sanctified. All of of that, that's who you be. What you do over here has has no effect on who you be. It can't touch who you be. He says in verse 3 and 4, he says don't start down that road of doing again. Because once you start down that road of doing it's gonna it's gonna swallow you up. Instead he says stick with the truth of who you are. And in verse 4 he tells him, look the only way that you could throw a monkey wrench in this whole thing, the only way that you can jack your life up, mess, mess up this good thing that you got going on, is if you will voluntarily put yourself back under law. Back, back under the obligation that you feel that you have to do or don't do. The whole 15 verses, especially verses 13, 14, and 15, revolves around identity. He's, 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 he still feels the Galatians are wrestling with the fact that they're not fully confident in who they are. That there are voices that are coming to them, telling them that they are something other than what Paul has planted in them. So Paul's going through this systematically, and he's telling them, Galatians, once you become fully established as a son or a daughter, once you, once you know that what your worth is, once you know your origination, once you understand what the Father thinks about you, and it becomes so entrenched in you that you don't get away from it, then Paul says all of this going back and forth between law and grace, all of the ups and downs, all of this living caused by failure, and then you repent of the failure, you come back to good graces, and then you fail, fall short again, and you repeat, you just rinse and repeat the process over and over again. He says once you're established, then all of these things that come to try to give you a wrong identity of being circumcised, uncircumcised, under law, not under law, all these things that come to mess with your perception of who you are, he said these things will fall short. So let me just bring this into March of 2020. I think this is March 22nd if I remember. March 22nd, 2020. Let me tell all of you this morning in the Digital Cathedral that there are things that want to or try to hold you back from being who Paul lined out for the Galatians who they are. Who Paul lined out for the Galatians who they are is the same as I would tell you this morning who you are. That's a right identity. There are things that come that try to affect how you see yourself, how you perceive yourself. I would call those um, identity thieves. Identity theft is a big thing today. You know, we all protect ourselves. A lot of us have, you know, have a protection on your credit card or your bank accounts against identity theft. Identity theft is a fraudulent acquisition and use of a person's authentic identity and information for some type of gain that's what religion has done religion has come in and has stolen your authentic identity it has told you something that you're something that you're not in order to take your identity from you and use it for a gain so there are identity thieves today if you feel less than who you are then you'll never be able to proclaim with boldness, you'll never be able to share share without holding back. He's he's working strong, he's working strong with these Galatians to get the right identity. All right, listen to me very closely. The identity that you have of yourself, how you perceive, how you see you, has got to match identically with how the Father sees you through His eyes. The way you develop how you see you is to first see you through His eyes. And then you receive that as truth. You say, okay, I I see what He says about me. I see that He says I'm justified, I'm whole, I'm, 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 I'm sanctified, I'm pure, I'm perfect, I'm blameless in His sight. Therefore, I take that perception He has of me and I make that now my perception of myself. That is the truth about me regardless of whatever I do. You separate what you do from who you are. See, this is not about modifying your behavior, not about trying to get you to act righteous or holy. It's about an awakening to your rightful position and that has an effect then on the way that you do live and the way that you act. We've come at this the wrong way. We've tried to change our inside from the outside and Paul is saying Galatians you crazy people if I can get you to change inside then what's on the outside will automatically change. We have an accurate identity. He established it in the very beginning. I, I, if these verses don't blow you away when you see them in their their truthfulness about the design of God for you, let me give you just two verses, two little passages of Scripture, real quick. In Galatians chapter two, verse seven, it says, "And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground." And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That formed your eternal identity right there. God took of his own breath, the breath of life. Whatever God breathes on has life. His life. God breathed into you his life. That that breath that you're drawing in now, that's his breath. He's reminding you every time that you take a breath, every time you inhale, He's reminding you what air you're taking in, it's Him. You cannot escape that. That that was fixed. When when were you given eternal life? Galatians 2-7, when He breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. He never rescinded that. He never took it away. He never said, look, when I breathed into your nostrils, my very being, my life into you, I've never taken that back. He never says, I pull it back from you. Now you're living on your own. That's identity. That tells you your origination. When Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 36, when he said, everything comes from God, he's fixing origination. Everything goes through God how you how you actually walk it out and everything returns to God. Once you know, listen, once you know origination then you can then you can nail destination. What God began, God brings back. He is the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He 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 looks at the end from the beginning. So when He breathed into you the breath of life, He laid claim to you. Then we read in, in, that fixes. Then if you read one chapter before that, In verses 26 and verse 27 of Galatians chapter 1, in verse 26, then God said, let us, us, plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them, all of them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, so on and so forth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created man, that's mankind, male and female, and God blessed them, verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, that all is original image, that all is identity. That's what he fixed into us that we we don't get away from. So as as you walk this thing out, just, just as Adam encountered, Jesus encountered, Paul encountered, you need to be prepared to face some things that attempt to reform or change the form of your identity and discourage you there are things that are on the planet things above the planet we call them you know spirits or whatever whatever you want to call it that want to reform want to rob change your identity adam and eve faced it in the garden there's something that came to them and said you have to do something to become like god they did not believe original identity they did not believe they were who god said they were image and likeness Filled with divine life and breath of the Creator Himself. Something came to try to to reform the identity and said you have to do something to become like God. Isn't Isn't that the call of religion today? You have to do to become. Jesus said no, 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 no. You don't have to do to become. You have already become so that you might do. There was, a, there was a, a, a war within the mind of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days to try to take his identity and reform it. Every, every test that Jesus faced in the wilderness was a challenge to his identity. If you are the Son of God, turn the stones to bread. If you are the Son of God, if you are, it was all a challenge to his identity. Adam and Eve was a challenge to their identity. Did God really say? Is that what God really meant? Now the the Father is very strong in His identity thing. He wants it to be firmly established within us. In fact, He always sets identity before He sends us into the mission that we're called to do. He's establishing your view to be His view. Couple of examples. Before man was ever created and put on the earth and said have dominion and multiply and and subdue it. He fixed identity as image and likeness of God. Once the identity was set, he placed man in the earth. The identity of Jesus, his human identity was fixed at the baptism at his baptism when John, when he comes up out of the water, heavens open, voice says, that's my beloved son. Fixing identity. That's my beloved son. Jesus Jesus the man heard that with human ears. Christ the eternal spirit knew who he was. Jesus the flesh man had to hear the establishment of identity before he became the savior of the world. His mission was to be the savior of the world. John says it numerous times in his writings. Jesus, savior of the world. But his identity was fixed before that. Paul had a revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus he was given a message by Jesus to go to the Gentiles and he was, that identity was fixed in him with the message. He wrestled the message out. He got the identity before he went out and began to minister. Abraham's identity as as the father of faith was fixed before he became the father of many nations. Moses's identity was fixed around the burning bush as the deliverer of Israel before he ever went to confront Moses and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. What's my point? My point is, is that God will strongly fix your identity, who you have always been, and it will become, it will become bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh before you ultimately see and are set into the purpose that he has designed for you. Now you're inching into it. You don't wake up one day and all of a sudden it's there. You're already living in the purpose of God. You'll become more aware of it. You'll see it begin to manifest more as your identity becomes more firmly affixed. See, Jesus fixed the identity of the disciples in John chapter 15 and verse 16. I, I should read, I want to get the wording exactly right. I read these scriptures so many times that most time I just know them by heart, but I, I, I need to get the wording right on this because this is important. Watch how Jesus fixes their identity. John chapter 15, verse 15. He said, no longer do I call you servants. Right, he's fixing identity here. You're not a servant anymore. Because a servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I have called you friends. I'm bringing you up to peer-level relationships. Joint heir would be another way of saying, I'm not calling you friends. For everything that the Father has told me, I've made known to you. So he's fixing identity that you hear the Father as clearly as I hear the Father. In fact, everything that the Father's told me, I've told you. Rest assured today that everything the Spirit of truth hears from the Father for you, He will tell you as well. Then he fixed his identity even stronger in verse 16. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Identity. Now he's going to send them on a mission. You didn't choose me. I've chosen you and appointed you, watch, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Do you see the identity? He says, you guys, you are appointed, you're chosen, you're anointed. There's nothing that you can do beyond that to legitimately fix your identification. And he said, "The, the fruit that remains is a result of my releasing of you now that you have a fixed identity. And the fruit that you do will remain. Verse 15 and 16 is absolutely right identity, and it's the result of Him choosing them, sending them, revealing to them. Now there are three things today that I want to point out, and Paul Paul runs actually through these in his fifth chapter of Galatians. Three things this morning that have no right to come into your life and actually take your identity and try to form it into something else, to reform your identity. In fact, they all try to talk you out of John chapter 15, verse 15 and 16, because Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. He's saying to us, everything that the Father's told me, I'm telling you. He's saying to us today, you didn't choose me, I chose you. He's fixing our identity today because as he sends us out, the fruit that we bear will be good fruit and the fruit will remain. The things that we accomplish will will remain strong because we know we're doing it out of a sense of identity. There's a power within us now that is enabling us to do what we couldn't do, trying to fix the identity we had through what we would try to accomplish on our own. Ishmael doesn't accomplish anything. Isaac is the one that it comes through. Are you with me? I want to make sure that you don't see yourself less than what Jesus said in those verses. That you don't have mental constraints. You haven't built, built mental mountains that have reformed your identity. Now if you can recognize these three for what they are. They're identity thieves is what they are. They're trying to reform your identity. If you can recognize these. If you can just dispel these today. In the, in the Digital Cathedral, I want these gone. This is a step of progress this morning if these go then boldness will increase, clarity will increase. We've got to transcend these things that want to reshape our identity. We've got to live above them. Things that want to steal from us. So everything that you digital cathedral, everything you've learned maybe through what you've read or other other videos that you've watched is going to be called on so that you can get a right perspective of seeing you the way God sees you. Very few of us are at that place. We still have these little things that have reshaped ourselves around that are not accurate. So let me just give you three this morning. Right number one. Your identity is not formed by the opinion of other people. This is why it's imperative that you see you like God sees you. If you don't have a right identity of yourself, there are lots of other people that will fix an identity for you. Your family, your friends, the teachers you had in school, the people you work with, the boss at work. They will fix an identity for you through their opinion, how they view you. They will fix an identity to you. In the Kingdom, it's not what people say or believe about us. That should shape our identity. They cannot control the identity that we actually have. And if you just brush all these opinions of people, everything they've strapped on you all of your life, telling you maybe you were worthless, you would never amount to anything, uh, scrape that all away. Still Genesis 2-7, the breath of God is in you. Image and likeness, dominion, subdue, is still placed within you. That's identity, never changed, always been there. We've just been blind to it. What really matters is how you've learned to see you like the Father sees you. The one that formed you knows you. The one that formed you knows exactly how he wired you. He knows your purpose. He knows your potential. If you want to know the best use of something, ask the manufacturer. You have a TV, you have a washing machine, dryer. They all have manufacturer's handbooks. Because the manufacturer knows how that thing functions at peak performance. So if you want to know how you are to operate the best, what you really are all about, who you really are, then ask the one that created you. Ask the manufacturer. What he says about you is absolutely true. Uh, look, I know it's easy to question yourself when other people load up on you. When other people tell you bunch of shortcomings, or your failures, or your looks, your ears are too big. That fixes an identity. Look at Jesus. Jesus was slandered. He was falsely accused. One point they said he was possessed with devils. He was a false teacher. None of that stuck. Why didn't any of that stick? Because when he was baptized, the voice said, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. That fixed his identity and he refused to come off of it. Jesus knew his mission. He knew his source. He knew he's a beloved son. He knew the Father was well pleased. The Father said he was well pleased with Jesus before he ever did anything. At the baptism of Jesus he had never done a miracle. Never fed a multitude. Never walked on water. Never did one anything, anything spectacular. The message in that is It's not what you do, it's not your behavior, it's not your accomplishments that make the Father look at you and say, well done, that's my beloved son right there, I'm well pleased with that one. Because with Jesus, he did it before he ever did anything. Jesus knew his mission. See, people pick up anything on you that they perceive, especially their negativity, people transfer, they scapegoat you, all kind of junk, and if you don't know man, you'll suck it all in. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3, the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage us about this. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. He gets us looking at Jesus. See anytime that you have doubt about your identity, about who you are, look at Jesus. Because he's the pattern son. Jesus has nothing going for him that you don't have going for you. Boy that'll probably get me blocked on some Facebook pages. He is the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is God's mind made up about you. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3, it says, For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners, people that don't know their identity, people that have missed the mark, have no idea of who they are, Against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So, if you ever become discouraged, like man, people are putting this stuff on me. I, I, I guess I really am worthless. I never going to amount to it. Look at Jesus. He did not pick up on the garbage people put on him. And sometimes it's those closest to you that are the biggest threat to tear down who God designed you to be. In John chapter seven, let's. Look at another story from the life of Jesus. In John chapter 7, let me read a few verses here. John chapter 7, let's start with the first verse. John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. Jesus didn't want to go into Judea. They tempted him to do it. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So they were trying to reform his identity. Prove who you are. show Go into Judea. We know they're looking to kill you. If you are who you say you are, they ain't going to get you killed. Jesus said to him, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast. For my time has not yet fully come. For he had said these things to them as he remained in Galilee. Think about it. His brothers did not believe in Him. So Jesus said, look, you guys go up to Judea if you want to go up to the feast. I'm not going up. My time's not fully come. It's not ready for me to voluntarily lay my life down. These guys lived with Jesus all their life. Jesus was the older brother. They knew Jesus His whole life. They watched Him at the temple. They watched Him growing up. This this whole passage of Scripture is to discredit Him. It's to reform His identity. Jesus, you're not near the... Deity hotshot you think you are. Prove it. One of the the keys that enabled Jesus to hold his identity, Paul caught the revelation of. Paul caught it. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, 6, and 7, he says that Jesus made himself of no reputation. What will help you maintain or gain the right identity is to let your reputation go. Your reputation is not your identity. Oftentimes people will use your reputation to try to stamp you with an identity. You're just a prison, you're just an ex-con, you're just a divorcee, you're a high school dropout. People will use your reputation to stamp you with an identity. Jesus made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, even though, even though it says in the passage, he considered it not robbery, he knew his identity, not robbery to be equal, that's his identity, with God. See, Jesus never tried to enhance his identity or enforce his identity by trying to look good. Jesus just was good. He had character. See, when you know your identity, you walk in your identity, fruit of the Spirit just starts flowing because other people are not stamping you with their opinions. Therefore, the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the longsuffering, the goodness, the mildness, all nine fruits of the Spirit begin to flow out of your life. There's nothing that's blocking the channel anymore. Somebody telling you that you'll never make it, amount to anything. You'll never measure up. I've watched you your whole life. You've never accomplished anything. All they said you had potential but you never fulfilled it. You fell flat on your face. See everybody wants to be loved. Nobody wants the rejection or the opinion of other people. If you're going to live this message of Jesus ethically, which Jesus taught us ethics to live by, kingdom kingdom ethics, and you're going to live theologically what Paul brought to the Gentiles, you will encounter resistance to your identity. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Jesus said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say, All men are of evil against you falsely for my sake. Blessed are you when they try to stamp a false identity on you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. It has been. The the prophets came along whether it was Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah somebody tried to give their opinion about who they were. Jesus asked the disciples one day who do men say that I am? What identity are they putting on me? And they responded back, well, some say you're Jeremiah or John the Baptist, come back to life, one of the prophets. That's who the people are seeing you as. Did Jesus see himself the way that people saw him? No. The opinion of others did not stamp his identity. In fact, the more truth Jesus taught, the more grace he demonstrated, the smaller the crowd got. You want to trace something really interesting, go through John chapter 6. By this time in John chapter 6, this multitude is following Jesus. Huge crowds. So Jesus in John chapter 6 does a a teaching on communion. And he says, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. That's the identity. That's what communion is. It's a a meal of identification. And so they, they had a hard time with that. Jesus wasn't talking about becoming cannibals. He's speaking metaphorically, symbolically, you want part of my life, you have to take all that I am, all that I have, I'm giving it to you, life is in the blood, I give you my life, you walk out in flesh like I walked it out. They couldn't hear that and they, they wrestled with it, they started murmuring. Jesus said, are you guys murmuring among yourselves? They were saying, who does this guy think he is? What, what kind of weird teaching is this? He's, he's some kind of heresy coming out of Jesus. People began to leave. The more grace Jesus taught, the deeper the revelation went, the smaller the crowd got, until the entire multitude left except twelve. And Jesus gave them the opportunity to go, here's the, here's the test of identity. Are you guys going to leave also? And they said, where in the heck would we go? You're the one that has the words of life. You're the one that has taught us who we are. Where can we go? The point is this. Without a rock-solid identity, you will never stand by yourself. If you get nothing else from the teaching this morning, I want you to get that. The reason you need a proper identity as divinity is because you'll never stand by yourself. You'll never be able to stand strong unless you know who you are. Alright, number two. Number two. Your past does not determine your identity. Thank God. How many can say amen to that? Your past does not determine your identity. Paul had a lot to say about that because, brother, the guy had a, long ide- had a long reputation. Not a good reputation. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul tells Timothy, he said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me worthy, faithful, putting me in the ministry. Paul says this whole thing is a, is a work of Jesus. I, I had no hand in it. Verse 13 he says, although I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a, a arrogant, insolent it says in New King James, that means arrogant man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. See. Identity has nothing to do with what you've done, again, has nothing to do with what you've done, including your past. It has everything to do with who you be. Your past is not who you are. In fact, you have no past. Let that sink in. Good or bad. You have no past. His mercies are new every morning. Yesterday will never be again. What's gone is gone. And you cannot stretch to reach the future if you're going to tightly hold on to what was in the past. Positive or negative. Paul walks through several passages of Scripture. I'll I'll give you the passages. Acts chapter 8 verse 3. Acts chapter 22 verse 4. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13. Let, Let me hit the Galatians one. There are several passages that Paul reveals to the reader about his past. That was not good. In fact we, we, we read this earlier when we were studying Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13 he says, For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. And he said, I tried to destroy it. He did everything within his earthly power to kill Christians, put them in prison, maim them, separate families, whatever he could do. You talk about a man that had a past. Acts chapter 8 verse 3, Acts chapter 22 verse 4, Galatians 1 and 13, just a few passages. Paul could have never written two-thirds of the New Testament if he allowed his past to shape his identity. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, he said, I don't count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, he said, I forget those things which are behind, his mercies are new every morning, has nothing to do with me, that's not my identity, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I have vision, I have sight to what is ahead and I cannot get there holding on to what's behind me. Besides, what's behind me is not me. What is behind me is gone. Isn't it interesting that Jesus never discussed his past, he never discussed his background with anybody. You never find Jesus talking about his early childhood, his growing up, his days in the carpenter shop. Not one verse, not one person, not one time, his identity was fixed. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father and the Father and I are one. That was his identity, he didn't look back. That was his story. He was sticking to it. That was his idea. I, I'm sure that a lot of people had a lot of bad things to say about Jesus when he was growing up. You know that Jesus guy? They don't even know who his daddy is. You know his mom, she was pregnant when she got married. That guy, that guy is worthless. See, he saw himself as the father saw him. Your past does not determine your identity. Stop talking about your failures. Stop meditating on your flaws. Stop saying what a doofus you are. Stop repeating stories about where you failed or about where people hurt you or where people failed you. Jesus overcame the stigma of a bad background. Paul overcame the stigma of a bad background even as an adult. And you can overcome it too if you know your identity. All right, number three. Number three. Uh, Remember, number one, the opinion of others does not fix your identity. Number two, your past does not fix your identity. And this is the one that probably destroys more people's identity than anything else. Number three, critics do not create your identity. Those who always have an unfavorable opinion, those that are always judgmental, those that always run to your side and nitpick and nitpick and nitpick. Something dawned on me one time when I was reading through scripture. And I was, I was kind of being attacked by some Different areas and people, you know, mainly because of what I was teaching. And it occurred to me that Jesus never wasted any time answering critics. See, you don't don't have time for people who seem to have the ministry of ripping and tearing other people up. You don't have time for that. That's a bad ministry. You don't have time for people that are judgmental and critical. Move away from them. You've only got so much emotional energy to spend. Jesus knew that. When the emotional pull on Jesus got too much, he got away from him, he got away from everybody, got away from the crowds. But I noticed that Jesus never took time debating with critics. In fact, Jesus, through intense exchange, listen, Jesus never convinced one Pharisee that I know of, including Nicodemus got so much emotional energy spend it wisely don't spend it on critics don't let critics challenge you or change don't let them reform your identity you know when when Jesus was going through the last days and they brought him in and they were they were accusing him one of the accusations against him was Jesus you won't say a word you're totally silent about this why don't you speak and Jesus just looked at the authorities and he remained silent. They accused him, but he never responded. Don't feel obligated to, re- to answer or shape your identity. please your critics, even under extreme pressure. I know some of you have faced extreme pressure because of what you've come into, the revelation, the light, the liberty, the freedom. Others are looking at you and they're criticizing you. They're calling you all kinds of crazy names. Don't let it form your identity. Nor do you feel you have to respond or debate or argue with them. You're probably not going to change their minds anyway. It takes an enlightening by the spirit of truth to open the eyes. Paul hit against that all the time. Finally he said, look, I'm just going to pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. That you'll know what the hope of the calling is. That sometime you'll understand the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, that God, the love that God has for you, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He said, I'm just going to pray those things for you. Nothing I can do to change your mind. Paul knew that. He understood that. Watchman Nee said something that I read. I can't remember which book it was. I've, I've been a big Watchman Nee fan a long time. Watchman Nee said, this is a pearl. He said, whenever you answer your critics, you make them your judge that is so true man when somebody criticizes you and then you answer their criticism then they evaluate your answer of the criticism and they judge whether your answer is valid for the criticism they made and I'll tell you it never is they will just come back with another criticism Of all the things that try to steal your identity, that try to reform it, reshape it, probably criticism is the biggest. It might be the most deadly. It probably takes the highest toll on people emotionally and spiritually. This thing when people criticize you. I'm gonna give you another Watchman Nee quote. It's fairly long, but I want you to listen to this. Watchman Nee said, many many a time the use of 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 the term identification is good, but Identification would suggest that the thing begins from our side, that I try to identify myself with the Lord. That's not, that's not what we're talking about in this teaching. We're not talking about you identifying yourself with Him. He goes on to say, It's better to begin with the fact that the Lord includes me in His death It is the inclusive death of the Lord which puts me into a position to identify myself, not that I identify myself, to be included. So he's saying the right identity comes from Him to you. That's where the right identity comes. If you're counting on yourself to identify yourself with him, you're going to come to him with a filter, with an expectation, with something that you think is going to please him to identify with. You're only going to see a partial picture of him that you identify with. But if you let him be the standard of identification to you, and you identify yourself with what he says about you, that's the good identification. He says it is God's inclusion of me in Christ which secures my identity that is my identity our identity is totally grace to us because of who he made us to be of what he breathed into us how he shaped us so recognize an identity theft a thief recognize those thieves there are other thieves. I just gave you I get you started I gave you three Those things that remain firm in your consciousness that try to reshape, that try to dispel who the Father said you are. Let me just finish with this. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, But now, says the Lord who created you, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you're mine. See, that's the identity that Paul was trying to get the Galatians to get. Get away from the law. Stay away from trying to prove it. Just understand who you are, who you be. And who you be will start to flow in what you do. All right? I hope you got something something from that this morning. There's three identity thieves. Don't let those things break in. We're going to move forward through the rest of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. But getting this lesson down is so important. And when you look at your life, you say, Father, show me. Is there something that's stealing my identity? Something making me see myself less than how you see me? Show it to me. And just get silent and let him show you if there's anything, you know, beyond the three that I mentioned, there might well be. And let him restore the identity that he intended for you from the beginning. Amen? God bless you. Let's pick it up on Wednesday night. See you next Sunday morning. 10 a.m. Central Time at the Digital Cathedral. Now remember, I'm going to come back in just a minute and give you a question for the week that we're going to start with on Wednesday Night Live, and I want you to think about it, and we'll talk about it Wednesday. Hold on, don't leave. God bless. I once again just want to thank all of you for being with me today. It's always an honor and a privilege to serve this worldwide cathedral of people that are awakening to such powerful truth. Let me also just thank you for your support, your kindness demonstrated toward me. When I open my emails during the week and I see that there's a, a, pay, a PayPal there, it, it's such an encouragement beyond, beyond the donation. And I, I really appreciate the donation, the gift, believe me, I do, it's how we keep going. But I, f- I feel like it's more of a vote of confidence that's saying, Pastor, you keep going for it, keep teaching, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head, keep it going. And that's kind of the way I, I see it when it flows in. I started something last week a little bit different to to kick our Wednesday nights off, and it's a question for the week based on the teaching. If you're with me on Wednesday Night Live, you know that I I rehash the Sunday teaching and take it some different angles. So I want to enhance that a little bit, and I want your comments, your reactions, I want your insight on Wednesday night to the question of the week. The question of the week this week is this. What insight opened the door for you to building a right identity. What revelation or insight opened the door for you to begin building a right identity? I know absolutely what it was for me. I'll share it Wednesday night. What was the thing that sprung for you that began to enable you to see who you really are? So here's the question. What insight opened the door for you to begin building a right identity? We'll take it up Wednesday night. I look forward to you being with me then. God bless. See you then.